Hey guys, and welcome to today's episode of the Trojan Venture Podcast. I hope everybody is enjoying a great weekend and for USC students getting ready for spring break. So it's an exciting time of the semester. Today, we're going to be talking with somebody who I haven't met personally until today, but has been somebody that's been integral to the USC entrepreneurial community for a bunch of years. So really excited to introduce our next guest. So for today, I have the pleasure of introducing Timothy Lee, the co-founder and CEO of Lend API, a no-code digital originations platform designed for banks and financial services to launch their products quickly at a fraction of the cost. Timothy started his career with stints at Intel and JP Morgan, and has since become a serial entrepreneur within the world of banking, lending, and payments. Outside of Lend API, he's also co-founded four other lending and payment-focused platforms with Magic, Max Decisions, Cooper Financial, and MobileLend. Timothy got his master's in operations research engineering at USC and has served as a professor at the Viterbi School of Engineering since 2019. Timothy also serves as an advisor for several promising fintech companies such as B9, Janover, Chem, and Truve. Can't wait to hear all about Tim's professional journey and his his perspective on all things lending and pants. So let's get him on the call. Hi, Timothy. Thanks for coming on the show. Uh, thank you. Call me Tim, please. There. Well, Tim, I'm really pleasure. Yeah. Excited to hear all about you know your personal and professional background and. I've been hearing about your involvement in the USC entrepreneurial community for a long time. So I'm oh, glad we were able to do this. Mm -hmm. I want yeah, to yeah, well, first, yeah. first start at the beginning of your career. You spent five years at JP Morgan and you were really had a lot of exposure to working with fraud detection tools in their consumer and small business banking division. Mm -hmm. I'm interested in yes. hearing how your experience working with these fraud detection tools has shaped your understanding of the risk management needs for a wide mm -hmm. financial sectors. Yeah, well, uh, first of all, glad to be here. Uh, fight on for every, all my students at USC. So um, yeah, so I, I've been teaching at USC for the past five years uh, in the entrepreneurship program within uh, by Tribute School of Engineering. Uh, last semester, I taught uh, blockchain programming, uh, solidity programming of all things. Um, I, I start my career, though, at um, Intel Corporation, building microprocessors, um, which, which, which was a very interesting kind of a uh, uh, segment of my life. Then you're absolutely right. I got involved with a, uh, with a bank, the retail bank side of JPMorgan Chase. Um, my initial uh, sort of task was, was actually to build out their cash management function moving currencies around the entire system, ATM machines, drawers, um, all the way to those uh, armored trucks, you know, uh, leading all the way up to the vaults. You know, there was uh, $5 billion worth of currency, actual money being circulated in that bank uh, through a variety of different channels. Um, I built a bunch of software for it to track every penny, so to speak, right? That's circulating in that in that system. That was really cool. We had a bunch of patents there. Uh, then I got dragged into uh, risk management, and initially I started out in their consumer bank, 
And my manager then, while Ramsey was telling me, uh, Tim, you know, we have all these losses in our consumer bank. I'm like, what, what kind of losses are you talking about? Checking accounts. I'm like, that's even more bizarre, Walt. You know, how could you lose money on checking accounts? Well, let me tell you a little, Tim. You know, people write uh, fake checks. I'm like, okay, 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 I can appreciate that, right? Or people overdrawn on their account and never pay us back. I'm like, okay, that's interesting. Why would you want to do that? You know, so uh, fast forward, um, we ended up sort of uh, uh, bringing some of the tools, right, to detect fraud, whether it's identity fraud or uh, check writing sort of fraud. There's a lot of forged uh, checks, forged signature, uh, forged everything, right? It's all fake, um, all the way to setting the right overdraft limit for each of our clients, right? So they don't, they don't get in to, uh, get themselves into too much of a trouble. Um, and we also don't want to, you know, charge a whole lot of fees when people are in the, in the bind. So how did that shape my worldview as a person? Um, I guess after five years of JP Morgan Chase working on uh, fraud, you kind of become jaded. Uh, you got to watch, watch, you know, over your shoulder all the time about, you know, just all sorts of creative ways people can think of, right, to, um, uh, to you know, get a dollar out of nothing, right? Uh, at JP Morgan Chase in the consumer bank, we had a fraud loss budget. We budget this stuff every quarter, every year. It's in the hundreds of millions of dollars. So it's a very lucrative business for the people on the other side. Uh, that's why there's so many attempts to hijack people's checkbooks, uh, hijack into people's accounts, Chase.com, um, uh, open up uh, new bank accounts under fraudulent identity, fraudulent intent, just to get to that little overdraft limit uh, so they can get away with it, right? It's just all sorts of almost like a petty crime left and right. But there was an organized a crime as well. Uh, AML, right? Anti-money laundering uh, is, uh, you know, we're so large that anything uh, that's of a, uh, that kind of a volume or, or a, you know, a standard, it's, it's, it shows up at the bank. So oftentimes we have to run special reports using special tools, right? To figure out, you know, whether this is a organized kind of a structured uh, way of uh, piecing money together. Uh, there's a lot of that going on uh, at the bank as well. So, yeah, uh, jaded after many years of uh, fighting sort of fraud in the trenches. <laughs> Eric is, is super creative. People come up with all sorts of stuff. Uh, lots of stories there. And I want to touch on one of your new companies. Obviously, when people hear your background, you have one of many. But I recently mm -hmm. had on Michael Broden from Outro, who was talking about a really unique way to build up people's credit scores and it really interested yep. me your new company magic and the way yes. you're at building credit scores so can you give me a little bit of background about the company in general then maybe a little bit of flavor into what the savings program is at, at magic yes yes great happy to do it so um i have a bunch of partners um i'm i guess i'm on the technology and financial technology side of the house um, and those other guys that I met, uh, great guys, uh, sort of came out of high, high, high fashion sort of sneaker business. They had a retail, they had retail businesses. They had a huge warehouse business uh, to move high-end fashion items, right? Most of them are sneakers, drops of all sorts. They have connectivities to some of the celebrities that get first grab on certain releases and things like that. 
So they they closed their retail business. It's just too hard to manage, but they still have all of that warehousing backend operations, you know, all of the inventory management stuff, uh, authentication, you know, processes all sort of still in place. They had they have to have that. So we met up and said, well, why don't we uh, open up an online sort of a store, right? Moving all these things out of Shopify, still maintain all of the inventory control, all of the authentication, but how do we make it a little bit more interesting? So the way we're thinking about this is is not no, not that crazy. It's basically these things could run anywhere from 200 to maybe a couple thousand dollars, right? Depending on what kind of uh, items you want to go after. So we said, why don't we chop this up into uh, kind of an like installment plan, almost like a buy now, pay later uh, kind of a plan that we can make it easier for people to purchase these items, um, you know, over time. So our model is that we will uh, ask people to log into their payroll account if they actually work, you know, have a W-2 or 1099 or some sorts. And on every payroll, we'll split that $50, $60 worth of payment over time. Could be 20 payments if you're a weekly paid person. Uh, could be five payments if you're a monthly paid person and anything in between, twice monthly, every other Friday, right? Uh, but we'll split that straight from payroll. Um, but because it's kind of an installment uh, uh, plan, it could be looked upon as an installment sort of a loan. So I, I've been in the industry for so long, I know all these credit bureaus. So what we have done is that we uh, sort of connected with all these credit bureaus, um, Equifax, for example, right? So we kind of uh, uh, are allowed to contribute or report this payment activity to the credit bureaus to help people to build credit. You know, if they make that 20 payments or 10 payments or five payments, we will be reporting this thing to the credit bureaus. Um, so their FICO Vantage, whatever credit score they have, gets improved, just like all the other, um, like your previous guests, right? They might be reporting uh, rental payments, Netflix subscriptions, things like that. These bureaus are opening uh, up their shop, their database for us to report these activities um, as credit worthiness sort of behavior. So. You got the sneakers, you got the installment payment to make it easier for people to afford these things. And you get to uh, build your credit. We think it's, a, it's kind of a trifecta win for everybody. And who's the target customer here? Is this sneaker heads, people that are building collections? So these installments would make a lot of financial sense. Or if I was somebody who said, you know, I buy one new pair of shoes each year, Magic could also mm -hmm. have what, what kind of customer are you looking for? Yeah, it could be full spectrum, right? So um, we, I don't think we're going after the ten, twenty thousand dollars sort of very super unique items, right? That's going to be dealt in a completely different rail. Uh, we're sort of middle middle market, right? Some of the stuff is hard, hard, harder to find. Uh, we authenticate them, we put them on the thing. So our average ticket size is probably going to be about three to three to five hundred dollars. Um, the audience are are obviously going to be folks that are interested in stuff and norm most likely, right, 16 to 26-year-old sort of, you know, college, uh, young professional type of things. You know, I just spend a bunch of money for my son, he's 15, you know, buy some stuff that was like, uh, fine, you know, what am I going to do, right? So I think it's going to be <laughs> people, young professional that has a little bit of a disposable income and potentially some parents gets involved, right, to help their kids out, you know, from, from that perspective, so... It's going to be a full spectrum, but uh, we're launching soon. So I'll report back to you on what's actually happening uh, versus what I'm imagining uh, it to be. So, 
Yeah, really exciting update. And I want to now switch to, you mentioned, obviously, you have so much experience in so many different types of lending, so many different types of products. And so this is kind of a, a two-part question, but the first part is, how does these how do these experiences kind of like form your philosophy around underwriting? Obviously, there's intricacies mm -hmm. to all different types of underwriting, depending on what products you're doing. But how is how have you kind of thought about it over the years? Yeah. So, you know, I there was no college degree that I that you can sign up for for credit underwriting or you know identity fraud and things like that. So, so, so my mentor or, or there's books written about this, right? There's the four C of credit. There's character, there's, you know, uh, collateral, right? There's a bunch of other acronyms uh, that you can sort of paint a picture, a multivariate, you know, multidimensional picture around the person. But if you look at a fairly uh, clean credit risk underwriting model, could be a statistical model, could be a bunch of rules to assess uh, a person's credit worthiness for a credit card, the most common kind of a credit instrument, right? So they'll look at your ability to pay or ability to repay or the ability to pay off that balance or at least the minimum uh, sort of monthly balance. And there's income involved, right? There's income verification involved. You can tell me that you make $5,000 a month, but I need some way to verify that. There's a bunch of tools out there, right? Plaid, Flinks. There's a bunch of tools you can log into your bank and they can scan through your uh, history and and figure out you know how much uh, net income you actually have right take home income and then there is that prior behavior right um, if you have had any type of financial instrument could be a checking account could be that overdraft thing that we talked about right could be a lot of that um, you know have you been abusive right to some of these things right have you been consistently missed payments or have you uh, have consistently overdrawn on your account. You're always late on the, uh, uh, you know, keep your balance, keep your checkbook balance, if you will. Um, and then there are other things that are a little bit more subtle. And one of them is, it's uh, credit credit seeking activities, which is kind of interesting. I'll, I'll tell you, it's it's the numbers of inquiries, it's it's numbers of applications you attempt to fill out in the most recent thirty days, sixty days, right, ninety days. And I'll give you another piece of data to go along with it. If I know that you've been looking at, if you have 10 inquiries on your credit report, you looked at buying some stuff 10 times and you only have one or two of these account opened or none of these things are opened. That tells me that a lot of these companies have declined you for whatever reason. And I may take that as a piece of evidence and say, you know what, somebody uh, is looking at something that didn't feel comfortable extending your extending credit, whether you have some prior behaviors or your income just doesn't justify this line of credit. We don't want you to get into uh, put you into a further issue, right? So there, there's all of these attributes, behaviors, if you will, that banks look at from an income perspective, from prior behavior perspective, from a little bit forward looking sort of the credit seeking behavior to piece together a, a story of why you're here on my website applying for a $10,000 credit card, right? Fraud aside, there's all sorts of other stories about why it's, this isn't a real person to begin with, right? So yeah, you got to get get into it. It's exciting to, to me, but you know, there's all sorts of ways to kind of figure out why people are there, what they're truly intent on. And we'd love to also hear about how you think 
AI is going to continue to have an impact on the underwriting process. I think there's so many more data points that you can pick on <laughs> to assess mm -hmm. someone's credit worthiness. But can you tell me about some of those applications you've seen so far of AI in this underwriting process? Yep. Yeah, uh, that's a topic almost on an hourly basis with whoever I'm talking to, right? We had a whole AI discussion in insurance, insure tech this morning with a, another colleague of mine. Um, so one is customer facing AI, right? There's a lot of um, uh, AI bots. We, we have one here. Uh, we've been training for the past month or so. It sounds just like a real person. So there are interactions, a bot, AI bot. Again, it sounds real. It's, I mean, you can't even really tell the difference, right? That you could have with a with a potential customer, right? You can you can put them into a different path, right? If you detect that there are, you know, not really forthcoming with some information, you can put them into a different path. I like that interaction. This this could be a whole day worth of conversation because a bot is hard harder to gain. It's very scripted in that way, right? I know that's counterintuitive to an AI thing because it should be right, very interactive, but you'd be surprised how scripted it is. I'm surprised, <laughs> right? So a person could attempt some kind of a social engineering to a bot, but the bot always puts up a pretty you know, interesting defense because <laughs> it's trained that way, as opposed to somebody that could get um, sort of a, scared because you know the customer carries a certain tone oh sure okay let's bypass the, the otp or let's bypass his password I, you know you're right sir you know i'm my, my fault you know let me read read back your balance right so i, I like that aspects of it is very binary in that sense again that's very, very counterintuitive kind of kind of a word in the AI world right but once a customer gets in there's thousands of attributes millions of data points right potentially per person I've seen technology where it, it where it, it literally renders the decision to one sentence. Go ahead and approve this person for twenty thousand dollars, and here's the five reasons. A underwriter could uh, could um, you know scale just like Copilot is scaling my engineers to write really um, I can't say really good code, but you know produces a lot of interesting code that can save us a lot of time. AI is playing that role. Uh, one from a sort of a you know. First line of defense on a on a fraud detection perspective because of that voice, you know, thing. Um, and secondarily, you can summarize a lot of data very quickly. Um, but it still hadn't gotten to the point where you can rely on it 100 percent It does a pretty good job. Like there's so many other topics. We're, we're gonna be running out of time, but you know, that's a really good question. And there's a lot of applications in place today already. We're using them. It's no, it's definitely a really exciting part, I think, of this new age of underwriting and using data to do that. I'm interested from your experience, what, what faction of lending products, you know, whether that's credit cards or mortgages, do you kind of mm -hmm. think are be behind the technological transformation at the moment or are in need of yeah. a, kind of an update? Oh, man. I just got off the call with a chief executive at a large bank based in Atlanta literally right before this. Um, it is um, it, it is the, the overall um, product presentation to the end customers. The bank's offers checking accounts, insurance product, personal loans, 
construction loans, credit card mortgages, auto loans, home equity line of credit. Their problem is not uh, that these problem that these products aren't there, aren't supported. There's good amount of money supporting all these loans. Is a one a place where a person can experience all of these pre-approvals, and they can pick and choose which one they want. Secondarily, they want to do it at a time of need. For example, if somebody goes through a mortgage application, whether it's purchase, refinance, whatever it might be. At that moment, you're collecting all of this information. The system should be should be good enough, and it's it's out there now. That I should say, at you know, once I have four or five pieces of information, yes, I'm going through the mortgage for you, but you are qualified for a ten thousand dollar credit card. Was you do I have consent, right? So this is all, you know, um, I guess science fictiony. Ten years ago, it's all happening now. I, I built a bunch of them myself. So these banks. You know, bigger banks have some of this stuff, but smaller banks or medium-sized banks needs to get there. It's that whole experience of getting qualified uh, in one shot, right? So I don't have to put people's credit five different times for five different products. And secondarily, we're running out of time, is the insurance. My God, the, the insurance space, whether it's renter, auto, home, medical, is so scatterbrained. Everybody needs the insurance, right? And there's brokers involved. There's there's uh, uh, underwriters involved. <laughs> you know, there's there's all sorts of offerings. It's just completely discombobulated, um, and that needs help. Not just AI. It's just basic technology. You will get CX help, computer. You know, sorry, uh, customer experience help urgently. So these are the two spaces. A, a com compendium of offers and the insurance space. It just needs help time today please somebody in the audience please <laughs> from your perspective do you think mm -hmm. there's an advantage on the part of the credit boroughs and the people that are allocating these lending products to make the system very complicated and so how how do you kind of think about their incentives to make the system easier from a customer facing perspective from the credit bureau's perspective yeah they have a ton of data they, they, some of the bureaus are 100 years old, right? They have data going back to the turn of the century. Um, so the credit bureaus are very interesting, right? So, so they have hundreds of different products, right? For auto, for mortgage, for personal loans, for just credit cards, right? They, they design all of these products specifically for specific needs. You know, sometimes, you know, I deal with them and there's like 20 different products. What, what do you need? Even just the credit score itself, there's like five different flavors of credit scores. What do you need for, right? Everything's designed, modeled for a specific need, for a specific target. So if you're, you know, inexperienced, you have a hard time sort of pick and choose. Uh, and everybody wants to build a custom score as well because my data is more powerful than Bureau's data for what it's worth. I, I think the Bureau's does a good job advertising their data sets attributes, scores that they can compute, the complexity lies in more compliance. Banks will love it for this to be a one-page essay, right, and be done with it. Mortgages, auto loans, insurance, credit cards is riddled with, with um, compliance, regulatory requirements, consents, certain things you can't do, cannot do. You can't charge 100% APR. You know, there's all of this stuff that the bank has to deal with, or even the non-banks, financial services have to deal with, that sometimes make this customer journey more complicated than, I'm going to get a lot of complaints about this, than necessary. For example, mortgages, right? 
you got to, you know, the titles, the insurance, the just the verifications of income. You know, if you ever do insurance, uh, do a mortgage, you're going to snap your eye out. Like they want hard copies of this. They want attestation from your banker. They want this and that, this. By regulatory requirement, it's harder for fintechs or banks that are tech enabled to really engineer a process where you can just think about it and it's there. There's a lot of blockages there, but you know, it's getting there, right? There's there's a lot of new uh, regulatory requirements and new legislations that will make it a little bit smoother. Uh, and a lot of fintechs are pushing the envelope to make it as efficient as possible. Uh, but it's not the credit bureaus, it's not the banks. Everybody wants to get a instantaneous one second decision. Sometimes, and most of the time is, we got to check the boxes, we got to get consent, we got to have CDP, you know, all these data privacy, all of that stuff needs to be checked off and it, and it makes it slightly cumbersome. <laughs> it's, it's that kind of stuff. And you're an advisor to a lot of different promising fintech companies. So how would you categorize what value you add as an, as an advisor to these companies? Mm -hmm. How has that maybe changed over time for you? Yeah, great, great. That's a uh, absolutely great question. I I asked myself that question all the time. Even asked me what's going on, right? Um, sometimes is um, introductions. For example, you know, I make I make a lot of connections there. It's like, hey, hey Tim, we're building this. We need to talk to somebody at, you know, credit bureaus, for example, right? Uh, I know not everybody, but most of them, so I can make that connection very quickly. Or, hey, Tim, you know, we are doing something slightly unique. We need a law firm to kind of give us a, you know, sort of an attestation, a letter to say, yeah, this is actually okay. Um, so I do a lot of that kind of work. And sometimes um, folks just need a crash course on banking, finance, payments, um, even how to put together a notice of adverse action letter to tell your clients you got declined, right? There's specific things you got to do. So for some of the folks that are getting into a new venture uh, and they need somebody that has, you can't see me on this podcast with gray hair to kind of say a few words, to give them some guidelines, to save some you know, time and money and, and uh, mistakes. I sort of go in there and do a few of this, a few, a few of these. Um, I usually advise for free. I, I don't, charge anybody anything i feel like this information needs to be disseminated people need to hear about this um yeah it doesn't really matter to me i just like to help and plus i teach a lot of this stuff at sc right um i just love to kind of give uh, this information out to people and it's all based on my own personal experience and all the stuff that i've done with the bank and financial services companies all the mistakes that i've made you know i'll tell them hey try this i tried it before this is the outcome but go ahead and try it anyway you might have a different <laughs> different uh different path yeah so you know compliance technology you know just stories basically at the end of the day mostly so as a last question i want to harp on what you just said about your time teaching at usc this can be you know from can be very what you like about the material te you're teaching or just interacting with students but what do you enjoy mm -hmm. the most about teaching I love interacting with our students. Um, I'm also a uh, product of Viterbi School of Engineering, so there's it's a there's a there's a bit of an extra oomph in my uh, in my willingness to to be at Viterbi. Uh, you know, I learned a lot from that school, and I want I just want to give back. 
the thing that I enjoy the most is the curiosity and the intellect of this generation of folks, including you, Eric. Uh, they can code, they can present, they have a really a, a strong convic conviction of the war their worldview. Um, I don't think I was ever like that when I went to SC, you know, some 20 years ago. Uh, I just feel like this whole generation of folks have really lighted up and my contribution for what it's worth, I will tell them, hey, all the stuff that I'm telling you, you can just go watch a YouTube video, <laughs> but I'm gonna tell you what's really behind what happened, right? What the, what's what happened at these places and why it happened that way. Um, and I boiled it down to just a couple of really simple sort of uh, reasons why uh, some of these historical uh, artifacts that happened in the entrepreneurship program or uh, in fintech or banking. Um, I feel like I'm just telling a couple of stories to enlighten people. Uh, and I'm just there to answer some questions because rest of it, guys, we got, we got to love internet and iPhone. You can look up anything. You could learn more than I can ever do in my life lifetime. But uh, for what it's worth, I can tell you a couple of uh, war stories or I can render maybe a co similarly complex um, topic like how Visa MasterCard Rail works down to a couple of finer, po finer points. So there's no mystery or there's no... Uh, uh, you know, there's not, there's this to simplify some of these concepts so people can move on their lives. Well, Tim, I can't thank you enough for doing this. Really was excited to have you on, especially given your role in the USC community. And so can't thank you enough. I appreciate the time. Thank you, Eric. Fight on. Fight have on. Well, guys, I hope you enjoyed today's conversation with Tim. It's really great to hear all about his background, starting from Intel and JP Morgan and how he's kind of transitioning to a serial entrepreneur. One of the common themes that I've seen from a lot of founders that I've had so far on this podcast series is just being a hustler. And Tim totally embodies that. You know, he's obviously the curiosity and his willingness and wanting to learn comes out through his answers. So it was really, really cool to hear from him. In terms of a final few takeaways, I really loved his explanation of the different ways that AI is now being used for underwriting. Obviously, if you think about it from a high level, there are so many more data points that are available now with the ability of artificial intelligence, but he really broke it down in ways that were easy to di digest. And then the second point, I always like to hear about how people define the value that they add to others. And I thought Tim really broke it down in terms of, you know, advising entrepreneurs on compliance or technology or financials or banking. And I thought that was really helpful to hear from somebody who serves as an advisor to, to see how they think about the value they provide to the entrepreneurs they mentor. So that is all for today's episode, but we'll have more episodes coming in the rest of March. Thanks guys.